Okay, well, welcome everyone that's watching via Facebook Live and eventually on YouTube. I want to announce that we do have a new book. This is volume number three of No Penal Substitution. It is the last volume that we're going to be doing on that series of teachings on No Penal Substitution. If anyone out there wants to get it, you can send me a private Facebook message and I will tell you how you can get it and we'll get it shipped out to you. So it's volume number three. Uh, if you want to get all three volumes at one time, you can do that or one volume at a time, just at your discretion, whatever you want to do. What I want to do tonight is last week I deviated, as I taught from home, from our incorporating the book of Revelation into mind-brain connections. And I taught, and most of you probably heard it, on what I call the age of Aquarius enlightenment. And uh, I, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are going to experience in this next age, not a new age, but as one man calls it the next age, which is here now, we are on the verge and already beginning to experience a lot of changes. But I don't think we've seen anything yet. I think there are going to be changes upon changes upon changes. So what I want to do, the last message that I did before that particular message on the age of Aquarius enlightenment was the four horses. I did not finish up the rest of chapter six, which depicts the four horses, because, well, I had talked long enough and I didn't want to, you know, take too much time. Sometimes people don't like our YouTube or uh, Facebook live messages, so I cut it short while I was at home. We'll pick up here now and go a little bit longer when we have our services here. But uh, we talked about those four horses, and I shared with you that the white horse is the spirit or the Christ mind. The red horse was the emotional aspect of our being. The black horse was the intellectual aspect, and the pale horse or the greenish horse is the physical, and of course we know the five physical senses are connected to our body, flow to our brain, and uh, as long as we live and are the white horse and live from the right side, then all of the other, the intellect, the emotional, the physical, the five senses, will all come under the heading or under the leadership or the rulership of the spirit. Now, as we said all the way through this series, God gave us the left side, nothing wrong with the left side whatsoever. But he gave us the left side for the purpose of submitting to spirit, not to operate in and of itself. Our intellect is not to operate in and of itself. The emotions are not to operate in and of themselves. We know the five senses are not to be uh, operating in and of themselves, but they are to be subject to the Christ mind on the right side or to the spirit. Now, if you want to go to Revelation chapter 6, there are two more seals. Because remember, there are seven seals, seven angels, seven trumpets, which we'll deal with. But I shared with you from chapter 5 in verse 1 where it says in chapter 5 that we are the book within. Let me just read that. It says, And I saw in the right hand, notice the right side of the right hand, of him that sat on the throne, that's the Christ mind, place of rulership, a book written within, within is esoteric, and it means the book of spirit in us, okay? Book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals, and I shared with you how that every book has a spine, and that's what holds the pages together. We are the pages of the book. We are living epistles known and read of all men. We are the book of life, and in fact, the ancient people even said that when all of the energy fields are open and freely flowing, 
They called that the Book of Life. They also called it a church. And we talked about all of that. But when you get further on down in Revelation chapter 6, after you deal with the four horses, you begin to see the fifth seal that was opened and the sixth seal. And then you get into Revelation chapter 7 and you see the sealing of the saints. And then chapter 8, you see the seventh seal. So I'm not going to deal with that until next week, chapter 8, which deals with the seventh seal. But I just want to deal with the fifth and with the sixth tonight, and then we'll get into chapter 7 and deal with the sealing of the saints. Now, how are we applying this? Why did I incorporate into mind-brain connections the book of Revelation? Simply because I wanted us to see that you can take, as the ancients have said, there are at least 70 to them, at least 70 different applications of the Word of God. One interpretation, which is Christ and Him crucified and resurrected and what that means to us, but many different applications. I mean, you can apply it to, you know, an outer court mentality that you might have, a holy place, a most holy place, spirit, soul, body. There's many different applications, socially, mentally, financially. So the Word will apply in many, many different areas of our life. So I have taken the book of Revelation, since we're talking about mind-brain, and we're bringing the body in. I've taken the book of Revelation, and since a lot is written surrounding the throne, and the throne is what? A place of rulership. And the only way we are in a place of rulership is when we're drawing out of the Christ mind. Also, much that is written in Revelation talks about and surrounds the temple. And what is the temple but our physical body? So I believe that I can rightfully teach what we're going to teach in Revelation. I mean, you could teach the first chapter on through chapter 22, and apply it to the Christ mind and also to our physical bodies if you want to uh, teach it that way. It'll fit. So I believe I can rightly teach it this way. So with that in mind, the fact that we are applying the book of Revelation to our body, we're talking about the mind of Christ, we're talking about drawing out of the right side, and what is true in the heavens finds its expression in the earth. So what is true in our heavens, as above, so beneath, or so below, as in the natural, so in the spiritual, as within our awareness, so in the outward, in our physical body. I mean, it just will naturally begin to happen once we are really drawing out of the right side from the Christ mind or the mind of spirit. So if you're there in Revelation chapter 6, we see in verse 9 now the fifth seal. The white horse was the first seal, red horse was the second seal, black horse the third seal, and the pale horse was the fourth seal. Now we're getting into the fifth seal, and again, we're going to apply it to the body and to the mind. So notice what it says in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 6. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Verse 10 and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes, verse 11, were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So this fifth seal that we're looking at here, from verses 9 on down through verse 11, has to do with those who took, listen, who took their physical, their emotional, 
and their intellectual aspects and even their five senses were led by the five senses and they yielded it to the Christ that constitutes a soul under the altar as it says there and that's the opening of the fifth seal see because we've taken all that tries to connect with the left side and we've yielded that to the right side or spirit now what happens when the two become one subjectively you don't have right and left anymore you're not going to talk about right and left anymore one subjectively that which has been an objective truth about it has been joined together you don't have to talk about the left or the right side anymore so the souls under the altar are again talking about those who are drawing from the Christ mind and everything the intellect the emotions the five senses the physical everything is subject to spirit in other words those aspects that try to connect with our left side are no longer operating in and of themselves but spirit is filtering and mind of Christ is filtering through them and they are we are ruling where those things are concerned Christ is ruling see and that's what rulership is you know people say well we're going to rule the earth someday and I'm not arguing with that but I'm just saying many times we can't even rule our own emotions <laughs> or our own intellect you see and until we can have that rulership within our own being we can talk till the cows come home about ruling the earth and ruling planets and ruling the constellations as we've heard many teach in the past and I'm not saying that's not going to happen I'm just simply saying we have to learn to do it here first now notice where it states there that he saw them crying and saying Lord how long until the rest who are living from an earth realm are judged see once this message gets you not so much you getting it but it grips you and it gets a hold of you then all you want to do is go out and spread it everywhere you go you want people to begin to experience this rulership over the lower thoughts and the intellect and emotions and the five senses you want them to experience that because you know the joy and you know the spiritual experience that is brought into your life Amen. and you want to get that word out there so notice what they're told and here's the key those that are crying and saying Lord how long to the rest you know are judged and so forth they are told then to go into rest that's the key rest about those people present the word to them absolutely but then rest in that word knowing that that word by the spirit will do its work on its own Amen. and notice what it says there at the end of verse 11 it says uh, that they should be killed as they were should be fulfilled in other words if we will rest as it says at the end of verse 11 it will be fulfilled in them just as it has been fulfilled right. and is being fulfilled within us wow. now in verses 12 through 17 then we see the sex seal was opened and notice in verse 12 and I'm not going to read all this just going to point some things out in verse 12 there was a great earthquake the Sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood in other words when the physical or when the five senses the emotions the intellect and all of those things that try to connect with the left side are subject to the Christ mind or subject to spirit then no longer are people dependent upon external light no longer are people concerned about an earthquake no longer are people concerned about anything external see once they have had all of that that we've mentioned subject to the Christ mind 
and the lower thoughts are being ruled through the spirit or through the Christ mind. We, we begin then to see through things that come in people's lives, our own lives, or even in the earth. Now, we know that the earthquake denotes the complete overthrowing of a material consciousness. In other words, we are no longer, we are no longer dependent upon materiality. And then where it says the sun became black of sackcloth of hair, that infers no longer being depended, depending, or that, that is signifying no longer looking to external light, no longer moved by the light of the sun, no longer moved by natural light or material anything, but seeing through those things as they come forth. And then where it says there, the moon becoming blood, we're the light, therefore we do not depend on anything on the outside of us. We don't depend on reflected light. Now, you could go back to Joel where it talks about, you know, the moon becoming blood, and we went through all hearing all the teachers teach about, you know, the end of the world is coming, you know. Uh, we're going to have these blood moons and all that sort of thing. Well, I could look at that as well as applying to our physical body. The moon represents our emotions in us. Now, the moon can represent reflected light out there because the moon is a reflection of the light, so we're, or the sun. So we're no longer dependent on external light. That's what it means. But in us, when we bring it into ourselves, the moon represents and designates emotion, so we're no longer dependent upon our emotions. They have been submitted and subjected to the Christ mind. So when you're talking about the sun, that's an external source of light. Talk about the moon, it's an external source of reflected light. It could be books that we read. Wow. Yeah, it could be books that we read. And we read books. I read a lot of books. But I'm not dependent upon that. I'm dependent upon spirit revealing and conceiving and quickening what I read in the books. And then when it talks about the stars, the stars are, metaphor, are metaphors for an ideal that we might have, mental ideals that we have between our ears. And then... In verse 13, the stars of heaven fell from the earth. Again, our dependence is not on external things, any external light or external life whatsoever. We're not dependent upon that, where it says the stars fell from the earth. Then verse 14, listen to verse 14. The heavens departed. The heavens departed as a scroll, and every mountain and island was moved out of their place. So what is that talking about? Well... I believe that verse 14 is talking about the fact that we are no longer using, depending on the principles of wisdom that have been stored up within us in a natural sense, but we have allowed that, those heavens, the old heavens, to, to flee away, as it says there. Depart as a scroll, and every mountain and island was moved out of their way. So, what it is saying is we no longer use the principles of wisdom that have been stored up within us in a natural sense, but we allow the old heavens to, and the mountains there would speak of wisdom, higher wisdom and so forth, but it still is speaking about, because it's something that is departing, it's, it's departing and being rolled up, I think Isaiah said, as a scroll. In other words, we're no longer depending on natural wisdom. I think James talks about natural wisdom. We're no longer depending upon our old heavens. We're no longer depending, you know, in chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews, it tells us to leave 
the doctrines of the principle of Christ or the doctrine of the principles of Christ and it lists about six or seven of them there. We leave those things. In Peter it talks about the elements burning up with a fervent heat and the elements there is storchion and it's your first principles. In other words, we move. Now I made a statement uh, when I did the Age of Aquarius Enlightenment and I said, if we will not move in ministry, if we're intent on yeah. teaching the same thing we've taught for 20 yeah. years, our ministry is going to become irrelevant to people because people want more and they know there's more to be gotten and they're not going to sit under those ministries any longer that are still ministering the same thing that they ministered for 20 or for 30 years. So this is what this is talking about here. And then notice in verse 15 it says, The kings of the earth, the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So verse 15 is talking about forms of pride and conceit and power and superiority and natural wisdom. And, and then it goes on to say, and natural strength and, and even associations that we have with people. And then it goes on to say there that they say, let the, let the rocks. How many know what happened at Jesus' death? It says, you know, that uh, the rocks were rent. What does that mean? They were rent in two. Meaning what? Revelation was poured out. And so they here don't want to receive the revelation yeah. that comes from the splitting of the rocks. And so they say, let the rocks, let the rocks of the mountains. Right. And they said, uh, to fall on us and to hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from uh, the, the wrath or the passionate love of the Lamb that would want to get all of that junk out of us. That's really what it's saying there. So they don't want to be exposed for their superiority for their high and mightiness, for their richness. They don't want to be exposed from that. So they're wanting, you know, they're wanting, as it says there, they hid themselves in the dens, thinking they were hiding themselves, you know, from the passion of the Father, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Follow us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So what have we seen so far in chapter 6, besides the four horses and what they represent? We've seen the fifth and the sixth seals represent or reveal people who have given up all and only live from the right side. That's what we've seen. We see a people, souls under the altar. We see a people that have given up everything external to only live and experience the eternal realm on the inside of them. And you know, that is what is happening in this day and hour. And that's really largely what the age of Aquarius enlightenment is going to be. It's going to burn up all of those false ideas. And just look what's happened to us in the last six, seven years. And the revelation that has come. We see completely different than when we, you know, than 10 years ago or not even that long. We're seeing things totally differently now. And thank God, by the grace of God, we're beginning to see that. Now, so let me go to Revelation chapter 7 now. And let's unpack a little bit here in Revelation chapter 7 because Revelation chapter 7 now is talking about the sealing of the saints. The sealing of the saints. Now, as I said before, each one of these seals 
represent an aspect of the seven seals within our physical body. And once things are changed here between our ears and our awareness and we're living out of the Christ mind, then those seals of our physical body will begin to be opened up. And they will open up naturally because what did Jesus say? He told us how to get those seals opened up to where we experience optimal health. Not just healing, but wholeness and optimal health. He said, become as a little child. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will come from the invisible to the visible. He said, become as a little child. He said, meditate. He said, take no thought of the lower thoughts. And that is the thing that when we walk in that awareness, it's going to begin to cause even our physical bodies to come in line Amen. and be every whit whole. Amen. Amen. When it happens in the heavens, it's going to happen in the earth. Amen. In fact, it cannot happen in the heavens without happening within the earth. Amen. So the sealing of the saints here, and then we'll get into uh, next week, as I said, the, the last seal, the seventh seal, but that doesn't come until chapter 8 of Revelation. So look what it says here in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 7. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. Now I can take the four as we've done before and share with you that the four represents the fourfold aspect of our being. Spiritual, physical, intellectual, and emotional. Okay. Now what is an angel? An angel is a messenger or a messenger with a message, or you could just say a message. And we're all getting the message. Amen. We're all getting the message, not by someone who's necessarily standing in front of you, but we're all getting it by spirit as we turn within and we let go of the external light. And as we begin to embrace the truth and say, I want the truth, I want the truth. So it says there in verse 1, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Now listen to verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the east. Oh, east, the dawning of the new day. Yeah. Judah was on the right, right? You had Dan, emotions on the north. You had Reuben, the physical, on the south, Ephraim on the west, or the left, but you had Judah on the right, which is the east side, and when you look north, the right is east, and east means the dawning of a new day. So here's another angel in verse 2, but notice it's ascending from the east, the dawning of the new day, light. Having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, Okay, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Now, remember, we're applying revelation to what? To mind and to our physical body. Why? Because much is written in Revelation concerning the temple, and our body's the temple, and concerning the throne, and our Christ mind is the throne. So when we see four, as I said, we can right away take that into ourselves and realize it's spiritual, physical, emotional, and intellectual. And so what is happening here is, is simply that there's a message coming to the four corners of the earth or to the four aspects of our being. And notice it says, he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Now, what does that mean, to hurt? I thought God is love. He's not out to hurt us. Well, he is out to hurt some things in us, <laughs> some things we don't need. 
When we're operating merely from the physical, the five senses, the intellectual, or the emotional, then those things need to be hurt. And guess what? The flesh dies hard. And sometimes it's the hard, in fact, let me not say sometimes, it is always the hardest thing. I've said that for years. The hardest thing for us to have change is between our ears. That's the hardest thing. And it hurts. It's no fun to have to move from all your traditional ideas and religiosity and come into the truth. It's like, wow. And it's a death. That's why he said back there in chapter 6, that, you know, those that you know, were killed and being killed. Some things are being killed out of us. Now notice here, these four angels can all release a different level of thought which can blow upon us that will either hurt us or help us. Now, of course, we don't want the earthly wind blowing upon us. We don't want an earthly wind. We've had a lot of religious earthly winds blowing in the land. Okay? So we don't want the earthly wind blowing up on us. We don't want the sea troubling thoughts. You know, Isaiah said the wicked are as the troubled sea, so we don't want wicked thoughts. A wind of wickedness blowing in, and really that word means restlessness. So we don't want the wind blowing up on us from the earth, earthly thoughts. We don't want restlessness, that wind blowing up on us. Listen, and the last one, nor do we want anything or any wind blowing on us that would hurt who we are as a tree of righteousness. Amen. And that's the last one there. Don't let it blow on the earth, the sea. That's what it says. Let me read that again. Yep. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. So we want the east wind blowing, not an earthly wind blowing. That's what I hear that saying symbolically. So we want the angel or we want the thoughts that ascend from where? From the east or from the right side that has the seal of the living God. And notice they are sealed in their forehead, not on their forehead. Now I remember years ago hearing teaching that... Uh, if you take the mark of the beast, <clears throat> there's going to be some kind of inscription on your forehead. But even when you talk about the mark of the beast, it says in the forehead, or the number of the beast, in the forehead, not on it. And I remember also hearing that when the sealing of the saints takes place, there's going to be a Hebrew inscription written upon the forehead. Kind of like, you know, the Hindus have the dot in the middle of the forehead, which represents to them the pineal gland. It's between their eyebrows, actually. But this says in, see? And notice at the end of verse 2, it says, hurt the earth and the sea. To whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea? Now, we don't want an earthly wind or religious wind or a wind of wickedness to come. But we want the wind to blow from the living God, from the angel that ascends from the east. And when that happens, what's going to happen to the intellect that tries to operate in and of itself, or the emotions that try to operate in and of themselves, or the five senses that try to operate in and of themselves, they're going to be swallowed up by the very fire in the presence of God. Yeah. That's what this is talking about. And it's the fire from the east. And listen, it's the same fire, energy, chrism, anointing that releases the energy up and down our spine. Wow. It's the same word. It's the same Christ, same chrism, same fire, same anointing. Yeah. See? 
So in other words, that fire and that anointing can work in every area and every aspect of our being. Every aspect and every area. And when it happens in the aspect of our awareness, then it's sure to happen in the aspect of our physical, of our physical body, where the spine is concerned and where the energy fields or the nerve centers are concerned. And I believe this is the thing, you know, I, I said it the other day, we've talked for years about, I know how kingdom has ministered immortality and how I saw immortality, but listen, there will be no immortality experienced subjectively until the energy fields are open yep. and the energy is freely flowing yep. and we, the book of life, are freely and fully opened Amen. for all to see. Amen. That, my friends, is the coming of the Lord. Amen. That's the epiphany, the outshining, the outraying. That's the perusia, that's the presence that we, we are. Amen. And that's, that's the apocalypsis, that's the unveiling of the Christ. It's not one man splitting a sky, coming back on a white horse, setting everything straight. It's us. The earth was given to the sons of God to set things straight. And you see, and the eternal rest, yes. Now, now it goes on to say then in verse 3, <clears throat> saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God, and here it is, in their foreheads. So there's not a hurting... There's not a destroying to the physical or the emotional, even though it uses that word, because God gave those things to us. So it's not that our intellect is being destroyed or our emotions are being destroyed. Those are faculties of, of the Father that Spirit gave us that we came here with. So there's nothing wrong, you see. What is happening here is there's not a destruction, but they're just being swallowed up into the realm of spirit, and your five senses become spiritualized, if I can say it that way. You know, and that's what the Bible says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. See, taste and see and hear, and it all becomes spiritual attributes, you know, and qualities within our life. So there's nothing wrong, as I've said all along, there's nothing wrong with the left side. In, in fact, as I've shared with you before, I believe there's a part of the left side that has never been touched by religion or man, and it's the virgin consciousness. We came here as virgins. Revelation, when we get further on, it talks about virgins. It talks about a people. What does it mean, virgins? It mean, virgins means people that have not been affected by religiosity. That's a virgin. She's not had intercourse with all a man's teachings and doctrines and so forth. Now, in verses 4 through 8, then, it numbers the different tribes, and I love this. Twelve is the number that, first of all, when you're dealing with the body, has to do with the 12 cranial nerves. Twelve speaks of completion, perfection. Twelve speaks of government. So our Christ mind, then, reveals to our left side, or you could say to our brain, the truth of what each of these tribes represent. They, each of these tribes represent a level of awareness about something. And what is the something? The something is the name of the tribe. Whatever the name of the tribe is, it's that awareness that you walk through. And as you walk through that awareness, then it begins to also affect our physical body because it cannot happen in the heavens and not happen in the earth. Amen. See? Now, Amen. notice it says there in verse 4, it states that there were 
144,000 that were sealed. Now we know when you add 144,000 up, it comes to nine, just like 666 is the lower consciousness, the lower thought. Six plus six plus six is 18, one plus eight is nine. Nine is the number for consciousness. So here when you add up 144,000, as I said, which is the sealing or how many are sealed in their foreheads, this is not a literal number. This is not a literal, some people teach it as a literal number, 144,000 Jews or 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses or whatever, how, whatever their doctrine is. But this is talking about this 144,000 means it adds up to nine. It's talking about the higher consciousness or the consciousness on the right side. Now, I found it very interesting. And I remember when I titled the book, uh, the first book we did on Revelation, Revelation Revolution. The reason I titled it that was because this is what came to my mind. Where we start is where we end. We start with the truth and we end with that truth. And it's like it says in Isaiah, he declared the end from the beginning. So why did I say that? Because the first tribe that's listed is Judah, the right side. That has to be first. Son Judah first, remember? And the last one is Benjamin, which means son of the right hand. So where we start, we end. We start with Judah, we end with Benjamin. I thought that was kind of significant. Now notice Judah, the first one here that's listed as you begin reading there in uh, verses 4, I heard the number of them that were sealed, 144,000 of the tribes of Israel. Verse 5, of the tribe of Judah were 12,000. Now, Judah simply means that, it means praise, actually. It means a son of praise. It's not us so much lifting our hands and singing songs in praise. It's that. It can include that. But praise... There's a scripture in the Old Testament. I should have looked it up. I'm not sure where it is. But it says that a people are a praise and a worship unto God. A people are a praise and a worship unto God. And so we are a praise unto him. And it's not so much us praising him. And I know we've gone through that whole thing where, you know, Jesus never wanted us to worship him, but he wanted us to follow him by doing what he told us to do. In fact, he was more than just an example and I won't get into that tonight, but, but his purpose, in the same way with serving God, I'm going to show you later on here as we go through some of these tribes, it's not even about serving God. In the way that we have religiously been taught about serving God, he served us, and he continually in us, through us, and as us serves us. But I want to show you what serving God really is. But the next one, let's go on here. The next one is Reuben, and remember Reuben was on the south, according to Numbers chapter 2, and denoted the physical, and of course we know our physical body has the five senses that's connected to our physical body and flow to our brain. But Reuben means a son. Reuben means behold a son. Okay? So we go through that awareness that we're a praise under our Father, and especially when we come to this understanding subjectively and experience it, we are truly a praise. But we're a praise objectively as well. And when you come to Reuben, you have to have the awareness, hey, I'm a son. I am a son of God. I came here as a son of God. I didn't come here as a sinner. I came here as a son of God. Only in my mind did I think I came here as a sinner. So I've always been a son. The next one is Gad, and it means an army or a troop. Now, what we need to realize in Gad, the army or the troop, 
is that yes, we are an army, but not in the sense of a fighting army. You know, we're, we, we beat our swords into plowshares and we're studying war no more. <laughs> and we can see all the way through the scriptures that it's not about wrestling, it's not about fighting. So in other words, we have to make this transition in our thinking with Gad because it's an awareness that one is a majority. One is a majority. So yes, we're a troop and a troop would designate many, but yet we're still just one. Yeah. So we have to transition that in our awareness. Asher is the next one. And Asher means content and happy. Remember Paul the Apostle said that whatsoever state he found himself in, he was content. And you know what that word content means? It doesn't mean, well, if I got, you know, don't have enough money to pay my, pay my bills, and I got holes in my shoes and don't have enough food to eat. That's not content. That's not what Paul meant when he said he was content. Content means unaffected by anything in the external. That's what content. See, you can be content in whatsoever state you find yourself in when you do not give something a power that has no stinking power. That's content. And that's what Asher means, happy and content. So we're being what? Sealed in the forehead or in our awareness of our oneness and being satisfied in knowing that no matter what comes down the pike from the external realm, it has no power whatsoever. And the only way it would have a power is if we believe it has a power and then we give it a power. But nothing in and itself has any power except spirit, except Father, See, and, and which we're one with. The next one is Naphtali. And again, this one means a wrestling. But to know that it's about rest rather than wrestling, see, that's the awareness that we have with Naphtali here. So when we are sealed in our awareness or in our forehead, it's natural to be released from trying to wrestle anything that would come our way, that we would think was a challenge to us. The next one is Manasseh, and I like this one. It means to forget. So when we're sealed in our foreheads, we can forget the failures of the past. We can forget everything of the past that had to do with thinking we were a sinner, thinking we were this or that, or anything of our past where we messed up royally, we can, we can forget about it. Because guess what? It's forgiven, and let me go further than that and say it's more than forgiven. God was never offended by it. See, when we see forgiven in the scripture, that's talking to us. We need to know that nothing is held against us, that God was never offended. And we need to know forgiveness so that we can go forth and then release other people, forgive other people that need forgiveness. The next one is Simeon, and Simeon, this is New Testament obedience, hearing. Simeon means to hear. And how do we hear? We hear by the Spirit. We hear by turning within. The next one is Levi, and it means joined. So we have this joined awareness. And remember the tribe of Levi. Again, I didn't look up the scripture, but I believe it's in Deuteronomy, where it talks about the tribe of Levi were not given houses and lands. God was their inheritance. See, and this is where we're at. This is why we don't ask for anything, because we know he is our inheritance. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, been given all things already that pertain to life and godliness. So it's not an asking. In fact, the word ask, if you look that up in in the Greek, it just means to seek and to ascertain knowledge and understanding and wisdom. It's not asking for something that we have some apparent need of. See, so he is our inheritance. He's our all in all. We lack nothing. We have no lack whatsoever. Next one is Issachar, 
and it means reward. Now, I see that one as this. He's our reward, we're his reward. Remember when, uh, I think it's in Joshua, when they had conquered some cities, the last city that they conquered was to be given to Joshua. And Joshua represents Jesus. So you see, as we come to subjectively experience what has always been true about us objectively, he gets his inheritance. We really become a reward. I'm sorry. He gets his reward. We're his reward then. Now, we're always his reward in an objective sense, but we really become his reward when subjectively we experience what has always been true about us objectively. Next one is Zebulon, and this one means habitation. We're his temple. Our body is his temple. We're his house. We're his dwelling place. It says uh, several different ways in the New Testament that we're his habitation, we're his house, we're his dwelling place, and so forth. The next one is Joseph, and it means to add. So in other words, this truth that we are being sealed in is that which is being added into our awareness. See, and Spirit has been adding to us for many, many years. Coming up in October will be 32 years. He's been continually, can you believe it? We grew up together. We came here as little babies. (laughs) And now we're coming to adulthood, right? We've had a lot of reincarnations around here, right? (laughs) So we've changed. We've changed, thank God. Last one is Benjamin, and again, it's son of the right hand. So we started with Judah. That has to do with the right, the Christ mind, spiritual mind. We end with Benjamin, which has to do with the right, the son of the right hand as well. So all of these tribes represent, you see, an awareness that we, we go through. And, and, you know, someone says, well, it's a process. Well, I can, I can see where on one level it's a process because the awakening is a process. Not salvation as far as us getting saved. You know, we're not saved in increments. We're not half-baked, as I used to say. No, we're saved. Second Thessalonians 5.23 in the Amplified says, We have been sanctified, saved, redeemed, spiritified, through and through. So we're not saved in increments, but there is a process of awakening that takes place. And each of these tribes here represent that. Now, in verses 4 through 8 then, it talks about there a sealing in the forehead. And notice not on, but in the consciousness, in the forehead, in the awareness of the truth which then begins to loose the seals on the backside of the book that we are. Remember the book was sealed in Revelation 5.1. We're the book of life, esoteros, it's the book of spirit, but that book has been sealed on the backside. And every book has a spine. So we've had some sealing in our spine. The backside is not where you sit, the backside is your spine. That's what it's talking about. So once we go through what these tribes represent in awareness, and we see it up to speed, if you will, to what Spirit is saying today, then those energy fields, nerve centers, begin to be opened up. Now, I say it this way. There's a sealing of the saints here in chapter 7, but along with the sealing, there's an unsealing. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, I was... As a kid, I was raised on a farm. We had huge farm, milk cows, you know, that whole scenario. And we had this huge garden. And we would do, in canning season, we would can fruits and tomatoes and vegetables and all kind of things. And I remember my mother 
taking the jars, let's say green beans, and putting the green beans, and I had to sit there. Listen, this was not fun for me. I had to sit there with three, four bushels of green beans, and I had to snip those suckers. Oh, <laughs> Took hours and hours. I hated it with a passion. Now I might love to go back and do a day with my mother, <laughs> do, do all that snipping. But anyhow, then she would take those jars and put them in what was called a pressure cooker, and it would seal. And then when we would make jelly, there was paraffin. You, I just saw this yesterday at Kroger. You get the paraffin, and you go through this process, and you put the paraffin in the jelly. Now, what does that do? It seals it. So nothing mold or nothing can get into it. But then on the day we're going to enjoy, we unseal the jar. We open the jar. So when we're sealed in our forehead, simultaneously there's an unsealing on the backside, and we enjoy. We get to enjoy optimal health. We get to enjoy who we have always been, objectively, in him. So along with the ceiling, as I said, in our foreheads, there is also that simultaneous action. And I really don't think that, that you can go through all of these uh, different levels of awareness where these tribes are concerned and all the things we have learned here. I, I just don't think there's any way for us to really go through that and really, really be aware where spirit has quickened that to us and it not affect the backside. I mean, it just has to bring that optimal health. Now, as I said before, you know, our energy fields are not completely bound up and completely, you know, um, sealed up because you couldn't live. You know, like my great niece I told you about, they unhooked her from the machines because her solar plexus, I never heard a doctor say that her solar plexus was so damaged, she'd be like a vegetable. So you can see, and I found out just last week, I think it was Roy Richmond told me he was doing a little study on the pineal, and he also found out that when the pineal is activated, it has to do with the cleansing of our liver. I mean, there's just so many things. This is why Psalm 139 says that our bodies were fearfully and wonderfully made. We need every organ, we need every, every part of our body it was given for a purpose and a function. And when one is taken out, then another part has to, you know, work, you know, extra for the one that uh, was taken out. You take your tonsils out. That has to do with uh, your immune system and building white blood cells to fight infections. I had my tonsils out, so another part of my body. In fact, I had my appendix taken out. Guess what? That does the same thing. So, but I've never known, you know, that I've had a low immune system whatsoever, but you know, there are other things that have picked up. And it's the same way in the body. When we lose people in the body, then other people have to take over, you know, what that, you know, person gave or what they did. And so it all works, you know, together. And that's why our bodies are so, that's why, you know, some people get bent out of shape because you talk about pineal gland. Well, why did God give it to us in the first place? Why not? If he didn't want us to talk about it, he should have just never given us the silly thing, right? Why give us a pineal? Why give us a pituitary if it has no function or purpose? And in the long run, you know, it has nothing to do with us spiritually. It all has to do with us spiritually. Now, look at verse 9. Verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. This is after the 144,000 are singing a new song. 
a, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation, I could add complete salvation, total salvation to our God is subjectively experienced, salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Now, verse 9 is denoting that not only will all men experience this, but every part of our anatomy, spirit, soul, and body will flow in this from head to toe. Just as 1 Thessalonians uh, 5.23 states there in the Amplified, sanctified, spirit-fied, redeemed, whatever you want to say, saved, spirit, soul, and body. Now notice there also, he, note, he, he mentions there the phrase in verse 9, clothed with white robes. And now, what does that refer to, being clothed with white robes? You, put, you, you definitely put robes on your body or clothes on your body. But remember, to put on the mind of Christ means to slip into like you slip into a garment. So in other words, what I hear there, clothed with white robes, is the fact that I have been, as it says there, a people in tongue before the throne. I'm before the throne, the Christ mind. And as I slip into that Christ mind, my body is just going to have to come in line. And, that, and that's, the, to be clothed with, with white robes means I'm moving in the mind of Christ, but my body is also being affected by it. And then the palms there denotes total victory in every part of our being. And then in verse 9 where it, he uses the phrase, stood before the throne, standing or stood before the throne, that infers a people that are not just standing there in front of a throne or you're standing there you know, in front of your Christ's mind. What it infers is a people that are established, yeah, established in the Christ's mind, yeah. see, and it brings them the subjective experience of the being clothed with the white robes. Amen. And then in verse 10, they cry, salvation to our God. See, and that's what salvation is. Holy is wholeness. Salvation is wholeness. From the top of our head to the soles of our feet is wholeness. And then the rest of the chapter goes on to say, in verse 11, And all the angels stood round about the throne. All the angels stood round about the throne. And I, I hear mind of Christ. I, I don't see some Elizabethan throne somewhere. We're, we're standing wanting to be established, what? In the Christ mind. That's what it's saying. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four beasts, four living creatures, that's the four aspects of our being, fell before the Christ mind. See? Fell before the throne on their faces. What does the face speak of? Well, when Jacob saw God face to face, what was he doing? He was seeing with a single eye. Seeing with the eye of the Father. And then he experienced, you know, the preservation of his life at that time. His life was preserved, it says. He named the place Peniel, which is where we get Pineal from. Got an ant on my notes here. So uh, what is this? Let me read this again, verse 11. And all the angels stood around about the throne and about the elders. The four beasts fell down before the throne in their faces and worshiped God. So what I hear here is that the message that is coming to us is bringing us to the place to where we stand before the throne or we're established in the Christ mind 
you see. And elder speaks of maturity. It's bringing some maturity into our life. And the four beasts are just simply the four living creatures, but the four specifically points to the fact that the intellect, the physical or the five senses, the emotional are what? They're all subject to the throne or subject to the Christ mind. And listen, that is true worship of the Father. That is true worship of God. It's not standing as we have thought in the past. And nothing wrong with standing with uplifted hands and singing. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But we really want to be a worship and a praise unto him. It's when all of these aspects of our being are subject to the Christ, to the Spirit. That's what it's talking about there. That's what it's talking about there. Now, one of the things, if you look up the word worship this is what it means. It means to add worth to. Wow. So listen. So the higher thoughts, the angelic thoughts, stood around the Christ mind, waiting to be embraced by the feminine part of our left side. So what are we doing? We are bringing the Christ mind and we're adding worth to the left side, to the wow. feminine principle. You're adding worth to your woman. Yeah. And let me just tell you this. This is where serving comes in now. Your woman will serve you well. When the right side has been joined to your feminine principle. When the masculine principle, the Christ mind, has been brought to the woman, to the feminine principle of your being, your woman will begin to serve you then. You know, and, and we have in Ephesians there, and people read that literally, they said, well, the woman needs to be subject to the husband and blah, blah, blah. Well, this is what it's talking about. The woman needs to serve the man. Well, listen, your woman will serve your man on the inside of you. It'll serve your masculine principle. And that's the full essence and reality of us serving him. Because, listen, what side of our being, you know, the the one scripture, we were talking about that on the way down here, where it says, you know, Jesus came, people quote, Jesus came to bring his life in that more abundantly. No, he didn't. He came that we might have life and that more abundantly. And the word have means to hold it and to have it conceived in your feminine principle. So he didn't come to bring us life. We already had life. He came to reveal the life. He came to expose the false sense of life that we were told by religion that we had and to reveal the truth so that we could experience subjectively the life that we came here with. Have. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. To conceive it means. It means to hold, to hold that life, to conceive it. Hold it in your awareness is really what it's talking about there. See? So you're adding worth to your feminine principle, and your feminine principle is going to serve you well. And, and what happens when a woman in the natural conceived seed of the husband? It's really him reproducing himself in that seed that he's deposited in her. And a conception takes place. And then there's gestation period. And then nine months or so later, she gives birth to that. What is she doing? She's giving back to him what he deposited within her. She's serving him well by giving those children to him. Now, verses 13 and 14 then, and I'm not going to read all this, but it refers to those who slip into the Christ mind or conceive the seed of God within the womb. That's why Peter called our awareness the womb of the mind. Okay? 
So verses 13 and 14 is talking about those who slip into the Christ consciousness. That word, that seed of God's word, that sperma, is what the word is in the Greek, is conceived in her womb, and then they're clothed with what? White robes. Because when it's conceived in the womb, what is that? That's slipping into the Christ mind as you would slip into a garment, and then your body experiences that. And then in verse 14... It talks about the fact they came out of great tribulation and washed their robes of the old religious concepts in the death which exposed the lies and in the life or the resurrection that revealed the truth. And it is a great tribulation. You know, and this is what they say. They say, well, you know, you don't want to be around here when the tribulation hits the earth. It's going to be a seven-year tribulation. Well, let me tell you, and I've told you this before, what a seven-year tribulation is. It's when all those energy fields are closed. And you're not experiencing life at the level that you could experience. That's a seven, seven energy field, seven-year tribulation. Because remember, Revelation is symbolic. It's not a literal book. Now, it was, you know, it happened literally to Israel in 70 A.D. when Titus and the Roman soldiers destroyed the city and, and the temple. You know, and it was given to them in symbolic terms that that was going to happen but it was fulfilled literally to them, to us. Now, it was to them, it's for us, and for us, it's symbolic as well. But it, it's not about destroying a city or destroying people or destroying anything, except right here. It's destroying, by the fire of God, the wrath of God, the passionate love of the Father, destroying those false images between our ears. Now, verse 15 then, they're in this ruling position, ruling over what? Or ruling where the lower thoughts are concerned, and they serve him, again, which refers to our woman serving us well. Now, who are we? We are the body of Christ. Our woman, when we feed her the truth, will serve Christ. You want to talk about serving Christ? That's the serving Christ. When you bring the seed of the word into the womb of your feminine principle, That feminine principle will serve you, the Christ, not the Christ, but a Christ. We're all a Christ. He's the Christ of a group of Christs. <laughs> I can say it that way. And that's serving him. That's serving him. Verse 17, For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now, this word lamb here is A-R-N-I-O-N in the Greek. And it's lamekin. It's a people. Now, the lamb of God, you know, Revelation talks about the lamb of God. And it's symbolic of what? Jesus that went to the cross, of course. Not a barnyard creature, it's Jesus showing you the symbology of lamb. But this Greek word for lamb is a lamekin, which denotes a people. And they're in a place, the lamekin, which is in the midst of the throne, in the midst of the Christ mind, shall feed not only her woman, but those they come in contact with, and shall lead other lamekins, other people, to what? To the fountains of water, and God there at the fountains of water will wipe away all tears from their eyes. Isn't that good? So this Lamican company are in a place of rulership. Now, I could, I could take it in this way too. When you're dealing with the pineal gland, it has other words, lamb, 
ram, burnt offering, Aries. And remember I've shared with you how that in the winter solstice, the sun goes down into the heart of the earth three days and three nights, just as Jesus was on the cross three days and three nights. It's there for three days, and around the 24th, 25th, it begins to rise up, and it consumes the lamb, Aries, the burnt offering, and then it goes to the right. Spring comes, and it continues to travel more toward the right, and summer comes. So to have summer, have spring come in our lives, and summer come in our lives, it's when we activate the pineal, the lamb, the ram, Aries, you see. And, and that'll all fit into the age of Aquarius as well. Because you had Aries, you have Pisces, and you have Aquarius, which is the, the water, the word. Now, in Revelation chapter 24, uh, the one I read in verse 17, let me read it again, verse 17. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, shall lead them unto fountains of water, living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now, in Revelation 24 and verse 4, where it talks about the new heaven and the new earth, it also says, all tears are wiped away. There's no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things are passed away. And that's the new heaven and the new earth, and that is what we bring together. We're bringing the new heaven, the Christ mind, together with the feminine principle. And what does that create then? The new experience, or you could call it the new earth. What is true in our heavens is outpictured or worked out or pressed out into our physical body. So, and it's not just talking about our earth here, but the earth out there. And this is why the earth was given unto the sons of men. We're the ones. It's not Jesus coming back on a white horse tooting a golden trumpet, declaring the day of the Lord. And he's going to judge half the earth in a great white throne judgment, which we're going to talk about in this revelation as we incorporate it into mind-brain connections. It's not that at all. And then he's going to, they say, he's going to make everything right. His justice is going to rule. Well... It's not going to happen that way at all. According to literal interpretation, you know, that's how they interpret that. But they, don't, they aren't turning within to spirit and hearing what spirit is saying. I mean, when you think about it, how much sense does it really make? When he's given us all things already, he's placed within us everything we need to bring forth what needs to be brought forth in this earth and in that earth out there. So what have we looked at tonight? Well, we've looked at the fifth and the sixth seal. We've talked about that, and we've talked about the sealing of the saints in their forehead, and that's what's happening within us right now. It's being sealed within us to where we are established in the Christ mind, standing before the throne of the Christ mind, or established in it. Never again to be unestablished in it. And then have to be reestablished in it. No, we're being brought to a place to where things are being tightened up within us, sealed up within us. And we're coming to that place to where we don't just believe. Because, you know, it's not about believing, folks. You could believe all day long the sun ain't coming out and it's going to come out. You may not see it because of the clouds, but it's coming out. I mean, it's out. So it's not about believing. It's coming. See, in the age of Aquarius, that's one of the things I brought out. Pisces was believing. 
But the age of Aquarius is knowing, being established in the throne, being established in the Christ mind, and seeing the subjective experience then just begin to spontaneously, spontaneously flow and happen within our lives. Amen. So that's all I have to share with you uh, tonight. Next week, as I said, Lord willing, we will get into chapter 8, and that is the seventh seal. We're going to see the seventh seal in chapter 8. Remember, there are seven seals, seven angels, seven trumpets, and we'll deal with some of those as the Lord leads. I won't deal with everything, but um, we'll deal with some of that. And then it just it gets gooder and gooder. The further we get into Revelation... You know, and I love the application to, to our awareness and to our body. I love that application because we've not really been taught that application. You know, I've not known anyone that's taught it. I've not heard it. So to really get into this and see how it, and you know, and like I said when I began this in Revelation, I said, you know, I can rightfully do this because much is written about the throne and the temple and, and what is the temple but our body and what is the throne but our Christ's mind, spirit. So it's just seeing it, you know, spiritually rather than trying to figure it out in our head and, you know, make it about something literal, you know, that's going to happen. So, Father, we thank you for your presence today. Thank you for your word, for our spirit that is quickening and conceiving and sealing these truths within our forehead and our awareness. Thank you, Father, for the manifestation, the outworking and the outpicturing of that which is going on between our ears and in our awareness. We thank you for this body. Thank you for who you are in us, as us. In the name of the Lord, amen.